Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Once again, welcome to the Back of the Range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 147. For those of you that are following along on social media, you'll know that I am not, I am not in the friendly confines of my usual podcast recording space this week. Had to get out of South Florida for some R&R and some incredible golf. For those of you that haven't followed along on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, get it together. Links are in the show notes of this episode or just go to thebackoftherange.com. You'll see some pictures from Dyes Valley at TPC Sawgrass, Chichesse Creek, and Bulls Bay in South Carolina. But now I'm back in the state of Florida. I'll be heading down to Tampa for this weekend's FSGA Mid-Senior Championship. Just one more stop to make along the way. Really looking forward to it, by the way, but you'll need to check out the Instagram page to see where I'm headed. The Instagram page can be found at the Back of the Range podcast. Getting into this week's episode rather quickly, but first, a quick mojo update. Will Zalatoris picked up his first win on the Corn Ferry Tour in Colorado. That's four top tens, including a win in the first four events since the restart of the Corn Ferry Tour. Congrats to Chase Johnson, former All-American at Kent State, shoots a 63 in the final round to finish solo second. I had a chance to meet Chase last month, good guy that got hot when it counted, and now it looks like he's going to have a Corn Ferry Tour card for the rest of the year. You'll be learning more about Chase in the upcoming months right here at the back of the range. Since professional golf is one of the only sports open for business right now, it's getting most of the attention, but for those of you that follow amateur golf, there are some outstanding amateur tournaments taking place in the month of July and August that will have some U.S. amateur exemption ramifications. Remember, no qualifying this year. It's all exemption-based. One of those tournaments has been contested already. Tyler Strafasi defeated William Holcomb in the finals of the North and South Amateur at Pinehurst. Both will be at the U.S. Am at Bandon Dunes. The Southern Am, the Sunny Hannah, and the Western are still to be played, with the winners and the runners-up getting an invite to compete in the U.S. Amateur in the middle of August. So stay tuned for that. You know that I'll have plenty of coverage on that here at the back of the range. My guest this week would have been a favorite to compete in all of these tournaments. He would have been a favorite at the U.S. Am as well. He's already exempt in multiple categories, but let's just go with this one. He's the 10th ranked amateur in the world, former top ranked junior in the world. This week's guest is Carl Phillips. Unfortunately, Carl is nursing a couple injuries right now and won't be back playing until the early fall. So he had plenty of time to chat about his junior career and the collegiate career that he is about to embark on at Stanford. Yes, I spent an hour speaking to an 18-year-old with a plus-five handicap that's going to Stanford on a full golf scholarship. And he's 25 years younger than me. That's right, dear listener, I do this all for you, no matter how soul-crushing and life-questioning the process may be. Carl is a two-time Junior President's Cup team member, quarter-finalist at last year's USAM at Pinehurst, gold medal winner at the 2018 Youth Olympics, and also, just in case that wasn't enough, a four-time AJGA All-American. 
Obviously, these are not all of his credentials, but you get the picture. You're going to be seeing Carl on TV hitting a golf ball for many years to come. The focus of our conversation was primarily about his start in the game and his journey in junior golf. There will be plenty of time to ask Carl about his collegiate golf experiences, but for now, but for now, I wanted to talk about his practice routines, maybe some tournament selection advice, and the collegiate recruiting process that he went through. If you're a parent of a junior golfer or know of a junior golfer, or if you yourself are a junior golfer and you're looking for a little advice on how to navigate your way to a collegiate golf program, this episode is for you. And for those of you that just want to learn more about one of the young stars of the game, hey, pay attention. Let's get started with this episode. Carl, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Like we were saying before we started recording, I'm thrilled that I'm able to catch you and get some uh, get some of your free time to talk a little bit about uh, your junior career and and what lies ahead for you at uh, at your college of choice. Well, I guess we can uh, you know unveil that a little bit later in the episode, but. Um, Unfortunately, you're not playing golf right now. Tell me a little bit about, you know, not only what you've been dealing with with just COVID and then also just dealing with some injuries. What have the last uh, two, three months been for you? So I broke my finger uh, three months ago, March 6th, um, playing a pickup game of basketball the Friday before I left for Sage. So not the greatest time to play a pickup game (laughs) with college players. Um, Wait a minute. Okay, hold on. You can't just gloss over that. You're playing a pickup game with college players. College yeah, like there was a co- not college basketball players, oh, like okay. college golfers. Um, so it was just a fun, friendly game. But um, okay. yeah, that was that. I thought I jammed it, but I went and looked at it the next day, and they said I had a fracture, an avulsion fracture, which is basically when the bone chips off and it's oh. kind of hanging around the knuckle. Sure. And then the dislocation, where obviously the joint is just misplaced. Um, so I had a pretty bad injury. Um, tried to. Try to go to the doctor and see what I could do if I'd be ready to play Sage. Obviously, never broken anything, so I had no idea what the process was for recovery. Sure. But um, they said, no, you won't be ready to play, and they gave me some stuff to do as far as you know, rehab. So, anyways, onwards, I go to Sage. Um, I, I wanted to start one last junior tournament because um, I knew that I'd be out for a while afterwards and junior golf would be over. So, I... Uh, I played five holes. I actually needed to surprise myself. I was one over through five uh, when I could only hit a driver about two thirty. Uh, <laughs> you know, at, at Sage, obviously, and uh, hit zero fairways. You know, flared one hundred and fifty yards right on six, and I called it quits. Yep. So, uh, uh, yeah, that was that. And then after the injury, all this COVID stuff started happening. So I went up to up to Boston with Michael and stayed at his place for six weeks and. Um, this was where I did what I was told, um, with my finger, I kind of just let it rest, stretched it out, you know, had it in a splint for a while. So I played no golf. I did a lot of stuff in my body as far as getting in shape and that all went well until I went back to Florida and got it scanned again with x-rays and it looked worse. Okay. Um, you know, I could play golf with it, no problems, no pain. But as far as the long term went, I knew I needed to get it done, had, had, get work on it. So I came over to Stanford and I got here two and a half weeks ago, got my surgery, which was where they did a bone graft. So they took the bone out of my wrist um, and threw it where the uh, where the fr- uh, dislocation was. 
and uh, basically it looks terrible. Um, <laughs> I've seen pictures. It, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looks terrible. Um, it's touch and go with when I'll be able to play again, but uh, so far it's looking like September. Uh, I've been through two sessions of rehab already, and they said it's it's making its normal progress. Um, I'm doing the exercises for it, but September is the earliest um, I'll be able to play again. So right now I'm actually just uh, sitting at the Stanford practice area, hitting some putts because that's all I can do. So yeah. when I come out, hopefully I'll be rolling the pebble nicely. Nice. Yeah. Well, I would say your your long-term career is not in basketball. And depending on what mm-hmm. kind of uh, golf glove company may be uh, part of your future, I don't think your hand model uh, days are, are going to be very long either, but that's, yeah. that, that's okay. I mean, there's other, you have other strengths. It's fine. So there could be worse times to break it. Too. I was going to say mean, the same <laughs> thing. Like, I mean, because there's a lot of things going on right now where people are fully healthy wanting to go play whether it's on the amateur side or junior or or professionals and of all the times to, to have something go uh, go sideways with your physical health I, I guess this is the the time to do it so um well i mean get healthy obviously i mean that's, that's the first thing and stay healthy obviously with uh with the way things are going right now i'm kind of letting listeners know when we're recording these episodes because everything changes from day to day so Today is uh, Tuesday, June 23rd. I want to make sure I get that in the episode at some point. For people listening that don't know who you are, um, <laughs> just Google him. He's there. You'll find him. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're probably, I would say, the youngest person I think I've had as a guest on this podcast, but in a strange way, probably the oldest and most seasoned when it comes to a career in golf. I'm not going to rattle off all your accomplishments. I'm not going to ask you to rattle them off either. But briefly, as an 18-year-old amateur, give me a little bit about when you got into the game. Where's your hometown? Many many people will think that you're just a, a Floridian that moved over to the other coast to go to college. But, uh, you know, tell my listeners a little bit about where you grew up playing golf. I grew up playing in Perth, uh, Australia, which is West Coast. Um, and I, I guess I... Really took it up when I started going out to watch my dad play. He was he was pretty good as an amateur. Um, he hasn't played much since then. But I grew up playing there, played some tournaments, grew love for the game. Um, came over to the states when I was seven to play my first uh, first world or sorry six to play my first world championship. And uh, you know I I finished well and decided to take it a little more serious. Um, and as I put in more work, I started to get a lot better. Um, and got noticed by an academy over here uh, in Hilton Head and decided to take the uh, offer that they gave me um, on scholarship. So I moved over there and did my did my golf and practice without my dad, uh, did my study, and then I didn't, didn't exactly like it, didn't fit in as an 11-year-old. Um, <laughs> so I, I got my dad come back over and we, we worked together a little bit more. And then when I was a little more mature at 13, 14, I moved down to Florida to Saddlebrook where I spent my whole entire high school career, um, training, getting better, traveling, you know, across the circuit, AJGA and stuff. But, um, yeah, Perth is home. Um, go back every now and then to play some tournaments, but my base is pretty much over here and now it's, now it's at Stanford. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I, I have to share a couple of, I mean, two time junior president's cup team member from the international side and, I mean, there's a handful of uh, course records thrown in here, you know, multiple time world champion and, 
Uh, multiple AJJL American honors, Southern Amateur. All right, that's enough. I we don't need any more of that. <laughs> that's that's enough. But no, and 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 last year, great run in the U.S. Amateur at Pinehurst, uh, quarter finalist. I mean, knocked off Stephen Fisk and Brad Dalkey in one day. That's pretty good work for uh, for for a day around Pinehurst. That um that round of round of sixteen, I think it was against Brad Dalkey, was the best round of golf I've ever played in my life. Okay, just want to put that out there. Um. You know, I was I was what six under through seventeen on Pinehurst number two. I didn't miss any shots, and you know we played played we played a great match. He played really well, and I had to work really hard to get that win. But that was yeah, that nothing really tops uh, how I played uh, mentally, uh, how mentally strong I was, and then how I played obviously. But just want to put that out. Those like the no. best round. If I can replicate that every time, I you'll be in good shape. I'd be, yeah, I'd be in good shape. <laughs> yeah. No, that was that was absolutely incredible. Then just, you know, I mean, Dalkey's a runner-up in the USAM. You know, Fisk went on to play uh, Walker Cup that year, and that's just a just a great run. I, I want to ask you a few things about junior golf. I mean, I, I know that you're used to doing interviews. You're used to you're, – you know, we're going to get into the, to the topic of social media, social media a little bit later. But I know a lot of the questions that you get are about what you're going to do in the future. You know, where are you going to go to college and – and, uh, you know, what about playing professionally? And, and that's all going to come with due time. But a lot of my listeners are either juniors or uh, parents of juniors. I have a lot of parents of junior golfers that listen that would love to pick your brain. And I'm going to do it for them, so to speak. So I want to ask you some questions about your junior career that has just wrapped up. Um, gosh, where, where do we start? So talk to me a little bit about, um, let's talk about this. Let's talk about practice. Um, I think every golfer can be a little bit guilty of spending you know too much time on the range beating balls during a normal week when you're at uh saddlebrook prep that was the school in the wesley chapel there you uh, spent your high school career if you're not traveling you're in town normal week of classes normal week of playing what would a normal practice session look like for you if i don't have a tournament for about three weeks i will spend most of my time out on the course with my friends having fun um, not really spending too much time working on working on my game. Obviously I'll practice on the range and if it's really bad, then I'll spend some time there. But if everything looks good, I don't see any reason to kind of be there. I just go out on the golf course, um, play with my friends and really just focus on having a good time while I can, um, okay. as a junior and not being too serious. But then once, once that two weeks of prep comes down for a tournament, it all changes. Okay. What does that look like when you get into tournament prep mode? So tournament prep mode uh, as a junior is, is a lot different than if you're on tour, because obviously on tour you're playing playing like every week. Sure. Um, but as a junior, you don't have tournaments every week, so you have weeks, even months to prepare for something. So, you know, you look at the course, you kind of get a basis of what you're trying to do once you get there. Um, so I will go with my coach and kind of plan out the rounds. If I played there before, it helps out a lot. Um, but if I haven't, it's even more exciting. But I'll spend most of my time putting short game. Uh, as at, at the practice facility, it's probably 75% short game and then 25% full swing. Because full swing, you can only do so much with shot creations and uh, kind of hitting different things, different wins. But the short game, you can never, can never be perfect. So I always work on that as much as I can. Um, and I really prepare myself mentally for these tournaments um, and do what I can uh, to get an edge against everyone else. But 
range work. I don't like to beat balls personally. Okay. Um, I, I prefer to take what I do on the range um, and on TrackMan and then put it on the golf course. So you mentioned TrackMan. That kind of leads me into something else I'm going to talk about, whether it's TrackMan or FlightScope or, you know, getting in on the SAM, you know, putting lab or, you know, just you want to maximize the benefits of technology. But how do you embrace all those tools but not become overly dependent on numbers because at the end of the day you still got to get the ball in the hole and uh, you still have to play the you know play the game on a golf course not on uh, you know not when you're on trackman or something else like that how do you balance both of those without getting too dependent on 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 the numbers yeah i never i never intentionally or sorry my intentions with trackman are never to look at ball speed swing speed try to carry it 330 but it's more for wedges you know my coach tells me a number and i hit it you know he tells me hit a i think on track man they measure curvature and feet so let's say hit a 20 foot draw um and i try to get as close to that as i can obviously the visual you can see it but it's good to know kind of exactly how much you're doing it so i use track man for more of a performance basis okay um instead of let's swing at 120 right right this with this ball speed and not get too technical with it because once thing I found is once I get too technical with things uh, in any any facet of my game, it's when it just goes downhill because then once I start doing one thing wrong, I just I start losing the plot pretty much upstairs right right and I, and I look I look I just look for the like the smallest things that are wrong with my swing or something or my numbers. So I just really focus on more feeling it out with distances, you know wedges, irons, everything and with driver, I'm just trying to see like how far it's carrying or whatever as a normal stock shot you know there are times obviously you, you can't help yourself but try to have to send one 330 and see how fast you can hit it but that's not the top priority obviously sure but if you're having fun between you and akshay and michael and maybe a couple others i bet you guys can that that just gotta you have to turn it loose and have a little bit of fun right oh yeah yeah but like if i'm practicing for a tournament that's not what i'm trying to do right, of course yeah, don't get me wrong. We, we've all tried to have log drive contests on there or like lowest ball fly, you know, it, yeah, it, it I'm not going to lie. It happens a lot. Oh, sure. Well, hey, by the <laughs> way, you're 18. That's okay. I think I saw, I think yeah. I saw one of Akshay's, Akshay Batia, uh, you know, fantastic uh, junior uh, recently turned pro, but uh, I, I saw a post of Akshay's on, on Instagram. I think it was. And, I think he hit a number, whether it's 190 or 200. He hit something and just started running around like he just hit a hole in one. I was, yeah, that looks, that sounds like him. Yeah, it's good to have fun with TrackMan every now and then with your friends, challenge yourself. But sure. the, the the main purpose for me is obviously just performance based work. How um, now? Let me ask you about sending a junior tournament schedule. Now, obviously, you can have access to, uh, you know, just about any any amateur tournament that you wanted to play in. Uh, being as highly ranked as you are at AJGA, you've played some professional tournaments. Obviously, you success in the U.S. Amateur. I believe you played in three or four of those at this point. What about juniors that may not necessarily be at your level as far as them setting their practice schedule, as far as maybe a parent trying to figure out how to best set up their child for for a, a amateur season? What kind of has worked for you? I know you're not playing in every single tournament isn't a professional and every single tournament isn't a junior how do you find that mix that keeps you challenged as i grew older i preferred to play the amateur tournaments to push myself um you know open age fields 
the junior stuff is great when you're trying to test your skill level against people your age and they have great points for, you know, Wagger, Rolex rankings, sure, whatever. And, and they're a lot of fun. AJJ does a great job about that. But the higher level amateur tournaments for me are something I strive to play in and perform well at, because if you can perform there, you know, I've heard college kids talk about it. Like if you're winning these tournaments, you'll pretty much do really well in college. So that's why I strive to have my tournament schedule last year be as strong as I possibly could have it. So I played, obviously, you know, the Western Ams, the US Ams, the, uh, the Northeast Ams, all of those tournaments. Um, but for someone starting out with amateur schedules and, not trying to, and trying to figure out where to play, I'd say whatever you could really get into, you know, um, just push yourself as much as you can. And, you know, oh, geez, like, I don't really know all the amateur tournaments, but I know there's plenty out there sure. that are pretty open and, and challenging that most kids should be able to play in. And I definitely recommend signing up for those. Um, as far as the juniors, um, if you're starting out junior all-star series, that's where I started. Great series to kind of get yourself an idea of what the competition's going to be like and then work your way to opens and then invitationals. And yeah. Everything will kind of stem from there. Um, you mentioned the Northeast, you had a course record there, 61 in the Northeast amateur. And, and I, I think I, you know, I saw a clip of you basically stating that, uh, you know, you're asking your caddy where you stood and he says, well, you're, you're eight under and you really had no idea, I guess, or at least that's kind of how I interpreted that. And I, I mean, you're basically in the zone there and you're just kind of on, you know, cruise control and just chipping away at different birdies back and forth. And, Every every player, no matter what level, whether it's a junior, an amateur, they want to find a way to get into that zone. Some people have a fear of going low. They're like, okay, I'm two under. That's where I feel safe. I, I, I've never been five under par before. How did you break through that where you're comfortable going as low as possible? Yeah, I've never really had like the fear of going too low. Okay. Um, I guess I, whenever I'm having a, a good round, I'll like to see how many birdies I can make, um, but not think about it. You know, just hit shot after shot, um, keep setting myself up. And it's as soon as you start worrying too much about your score that I've noticed the bogey start to roll in Okay. all of a sudden. Um, so like at the Northeast, I, I had some idea of what I was at, but I wasn't sure because the birdies on the back nine just all happened so fast and it was exhilarating, but I didn't want to think about it too much. I just wanted to keep hitting the shots. Um, but there should never be a reason to be afraid of going too low because you never know what it's going to be like unless you do. Um, and that's kind of been my philosophy. Just keep making birdies, keep just doing what you're doing and not think about it too much. Nice. I might get back to a little bit of that later as far as about going low. Uh, you know, I mentioned before we started recording about social media, you've been on social media for more than half of your life. Um, you do your YouTube channel, started in 2008 um incredible amount of views i mean i think it's i think over 700 videos obviously this is started by your dad and do you ever do you remember when you first started getting recognition from your social media presence couldn't tell you i don't know how it all started <laughs> oh, I, was, really? I was too young i was too young okay but do you so like well at some point you're realizing that wow people i mean do you ever did you ever just like look and say wow um People know what I'm doing on the golf course. I, uh, I'm just playing yeah. in junior tournaments, and, oh, this has been viewed a handful of times. Yeah, I think when I was 11, I, I saw the amount of views I got on one video. And it's like, <laughs> wow, this is crazy. And it's actually funny because 
I get messages like DMs on Instagram uh-huh. saying like, I've been a fan of you since blah, like 11 years old. Right. And it's weird to me because these kids are now 21, 20, they're in college and we were all 11, 12, 13 back then. So it's, it's crazy every now and then I get these DMs and like, Oh, I was really influencing these kids when I was 11. Right. Um, which is, it's, it's great to hear. Um, and then I think my YouTube channel really spiked when I was 13, 14, started playing in the bigger tournaments. Sure. Um, and started winning the AJGAs. And then since then, it's it's been hard to produce videos when my dad's in Australia and I'm over here. But we try to get as many out as possible. Obviously, nothing's coming out right now because I'm not playing, but right. we'll get there. Yeah, well, I mean, you got to take a little bit of a break. But it's it's interesting with, with your um, – <laughs> I'm just looking at it, and a lot of the things that you're doing on your social media, it's not – it's not just swing videos. You're, you know, you're really good in front of the camera, breaking down your round or talking about certain shots. Um, and you've been doing that for so long. So I'm guessing that you don't have too much of a fear of playing golf on camera where, you know, you're, you're used to people around with, with a camera or a phone or something like that. So I'm guessing this is just a nice little happy accident where that's going to help you moving forward where you're not blown away by being on a you know being on fox playing in the u.s amateur i love it i love being on on camera um there's nerves i have nerves when a lot of people watch me because it hasn't happened too much but as far as being on camera i'm fine with it i know how to handle myself um not anything stupid um (laughs) but uh it's 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 the people like i've never never really experienced a big crowd watching me so at the usam quarterfinals it was First tee shot was nerve wracking, but after that, I got pretty used to it and felt comfortable with them uh, being around. There's kind of a conversation going around about whether or not PGA Tour players should be mic'd up, and I think uh, Ricky did it for, for at uh, at Colonial, and I think Adam Hadwin did it uh, recently at uh, Harbor Town. What are your thoughts on that? I think that puts a lot of pressure on the players being mic'd up during their rounds. Um, um, I don't, I'm not a fan of it, yep. uh, but you know, it depends on the player really, uh, who's mic'd up, but I feel like it's an invasion of their thoughts, uh, on the golf course. So I don't, I, I'm not a fan of it, but you know, if it was just a casual round like DJ and Rick, Ricky had, uh, down at Seminole, then yeah. I see no issues. Yeah. No, I, I kind of am on the same page with you. I, I think, you know, how much do you really need to hear and know you're getting to see every single shot and you're picking up on the boom mic what their conversations are periodically with their caddies. Um, you know, they're they're working. They should be able to, you know, privately, uh, you know, mutter, uh, you know, they could, they should be able to mutter an F-bomb under their breath and, and not <laughs> feel like they're being, you know, uh, vilified for having uh, for having bad language. I mean, we all do it, so. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, let's throw one of your junior counterparts under the bus. Who would be the least likely junior um, through, you know, your recent class that, should absolutely not be mic'd up in any tournament whatsoever. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, like that I've played with. Yeah. Just you know, when you're playing your casual games with your buddies, like you said, in your practice sessions that, you know, that, you know, just casual games, we don't need details, but I'm saying someone that just, okay, keep the microphone away from this guy down the road. It's not going to be pretty. Oh, geez. I mean, I don't know could be a lot like it's maybe uh maybe joe 
Joe Pagden. Pagden. Okay. Well, yeah. well, then I'll have to get Deacon on the phone because I've had. Because uh, we'll find out what's going on with that. So no, that's perfect. no. But the, the thing, the thing is, um, you know, a lot of a lot of names came into my head. But the thing is, I know that these guys are able to handle it when they need to. But oh, if it's just us, us out on the out on the golf course, you know, you know, I would say I would say me. Like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> but, of course. Um, yeah, it's all fun out there, but you know when it comes down to it, and you know you have a mic on yourself. I don't know any guys who are just, you know, instinctively going to drop <laughs> a bad word. Of course, of course. Yeah. No, you're you're 100 right. Everyone when they know they're under the under the mic, they're going to behave. But uh, yeah, I I would imagine uh, I would love to think that Kucher would just be just awful if he had a hot mic. That would be so great just to find out that he just had the worst <laughs> mouth out there. That'd be perfect. Oh yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Stanford. You have, um, you're going to be, you're at Stanford right now. Gonna, obviously, as soon as the injury heals up, you're going to be playing for, uh, playing out the farm for Coach Ray. You know, you're arguably part, and this is a direct quote from him, you're part of arguably the best combined class in the history of the Stanford men's golf program. And, you know, that's uh, that's you, that's, um, you know, that's Michael Theorbornson, that's uh, Jake Beaver Frankel. I mean, this is just an incredible class that's coming in and, you know, this is a universe. I mean, Coach Ray played with Tiger, and you have Patrick Rogers and McNeely and Tom Watson, all these incredible players. You know, you guys go in there together, and at, you know, at that level, you're surrounded by, you know, you're surrounded by your peers and your friends when you're playing in these junior tournaments. And I know that everyone is probably dealing with the same thing: where are you going to go, and what kind of visitor are you going to go on? How how crazy is that whole process when you have college coaches coming at you and? visits and your friends are asking what you're thinking about doing i mean are you glad that part of it's over yeah there's a lot of pressure um well at least there was on me uh when i was young so when i the good thing is when i visited here and i got offered um to come here i knew i wanted to be here but the thing i would uh advise anybody young and i think they actually changed a rule to where you can't talk to coaches till you're I think it's a junior. I think so. Yeah, they did do a recent change. Because yeah. um, I think you were allowed to call the coach, but now that's no longer a thing. Um, but I would advise not to make a decision too early because you never really know until you know, probably probably late junior year where you want to be. Um, obviously, with some people, it's the fact that they don't want to have that spot taken away from them. But I think that making a decision when you're because I was in the middle of a phase where people were committing as freshman eighth graders. But, yeah, that's what I would recommend. I mean, it is a stressful process. There is a lot of pressure on you to commit to a certain school, but do what's best for you. And obviously, this is this is where I felt at home and what I thought was the best fit for me. But, um, yeah, don't don't put yourself into something you can't commit to fully. I would say the interesting thing about Stanford is it's not just, I mean, you have incredible athletics there, not just golf. I mean, you know, football, basketball, everything is just at, at you know high level, but it's also, you're surrounded by uh, incredible uh, students, incredible minds, whether it's in science or technology or business. I, I remember when I spoke with uh, Brandon Wu and Isaiah Salinda last year, and, and they were talking about the academic side. I, I could barely really understand what their majors were, forget about what the classes were, but uh, yes, yeah. Oh, okay. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, they they started. Getting, yeah, yeah. They started telling me what the, is that. You're going to be your major too. Oh, I'm undecided, but um, they they did tell me about STS, and that's something 
that uh, is interesting. Obviously, you know, there's a bunch of majors here. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to decide right away, but I'll find best fit for me. Yeah, no, it's um, it's just incredible. I mean, it has to be exciting to be there. And now what was, you know, when you're talking to Coach Ray, I mean, obviously the athletics and the academics speak for themselves, but what specifically maybe about campus life or about just the way things work at Stanford really attracted you? Because, you know, there's things you're going to try and chase after college, obviously, and this is a challenging university. Have you been here? <laughs> I haven't been there, but, you know, I've talked to a handful <laughs> of people. Yeah, it's it really is heaven. Um, you know, I've been in the dorms for three days. I've walked around campus a bunch. And I really do think there are only a handful of universities out there that are this beautiful um, and that devote this much into their athletics, their academics uh, all around. You know, there is so much to do around here. You know, last week I went to Monterey. I went to San Francisco, um, got to go down the coast. And it really is in the best location i think for me with the best climate for golf um the facilities are unmatched um and everybody here seems seems nice so i only had to visit here once to kind of figure out where i wanted to be nice now how did now now did you have to sell uh jake and michael on this or was these or were these three independent uh ways that this thing happened uh, i mean i'm sure you guys you guys play in all the same tournaments so you're always talking is that i'm guessing this was some sort of a team effort here so michael committed shortly after the u.s junior when he won and prior to that i think i was pushing him a little bit uh there you go that this this was a great school jake was uh kind of unexpected but uh great uh pickup for us oh yeah uh, he's gonna he's gonna love it here um, but yeah, me and Michael, kind of a dynamic duo. Um, I feel like we could do great things here. So no, that'll be, that'll, I think that's why I pushed him a little bit. That's a, that's a good job. Good recruiting. You have a, you have a recruiting <laughs> future. Uh, you know, you, you have, you have a good future with that. Um, I, I'd love to ask you a question about Jake's hair, but I feel like that's just a little too on brand and, and going for the obvious. So we're uh, going to try and cut it. Real? Oh, are you serious? <laughs> uh, we're going to try. I mean, but I don't want, I don't want to do that to the kid. You know, I've known I've known uh, him for a while. So when he was nine, he had the same hair. I don't think he's cut it since really. I, but, I, um, I've seen him. I mean, because I'm a South Florida. I grew up in South Florida, and I know he's down in Miami. So I've seen him at random tournaments, and and it's it's definitely if you do not know who he is, you just you turn the head like, who is this kid? Why? How did he end up on the golf course? Because you just don't see that. Um, yeah, good luck cutting his hair. Have a good time with that. Um, I don't know how oh, yeah. you're going to sell that one. Gosh, I mean, we've hit upon a lot of things. I feel like we're leaving a lot on the table, but I'm trying to re- remember a couple of things I wanted to ask you a little bit about. Um, um, memories of junior golf. So you mentioned Sage Valley. Um, give me at least one good story about that lit par three course and what kind of trouble one one junior golfer can get into. Oh boy, I'm gonna talk about my very first year I went there. There you go. Um, this was when it was a three-hole uh, course, uh, two par fours and a par three, and I was just sitting in front of the last hole, which is the par four, and I'm in front of the green, kind of short. Jacob Bergeron, who uh, was a junior a few years back, he he was at LSU. I think he might be pro now, but um. He hits an eight iron from the woods on a pine straw, and the pine straw he caught a little thick. And I heard the four. I 
turned around and it hit me right in the head with an eight iron. So I kind of went on the ground. My head was bleeding and everything. Uh, okay. Had to get stitches. I, I was in shock. I didn't know what happened. Um, I was sitting in a room. I kind of passed out a little bit. And, you know, they said if it was, I think it was like three, four inches further to the right, I could have died because I would have had a part of my head that would have just caused me to completely die. So uh-huh. I was very fortunate with that. But that's that was a story. And that's why I, from then on, whenever I went there, I stayed away from anywhere near around the greens while people were hitting up. <laughs> just get a helmet. Just wear a helmet around yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but, um, wow. yeah, a, a lightheaded, uh, sorry, um, a lighthearted story was two years ago, the, the year before they made it the part three course, uh, I, me and Michael decided to create a bracket of teams. So teams of two, and I think we had about 32 kids playing it. So we just all played, uh, made a bracket and it was me and Michael against Yuki and another Japanese kid in the final and we lost. But that was a lot of fun. Everyone enjoyed it. Uh, everyone got to be a part of it. So that was great. How hard is it to keep junior golf fun? I mean, it sounds like it should be the most exciting part and just the carefree part of, of your your college career. Because obviously, when you go to or your junior career, because obviously, once you start college, you have you know a lot of classes and a lot of travel and things to balance. And then, you know, at, at your level and Michael's level and all the other kids' level, obviously, you know, playing professionally is is on your radar. But I'm guessing with all the pressure, it, it sounds like it's something that, you know, kids coming up need to keep in mind, like, hey, it's supposed to be fun. It just should not be something serious all the time. Yeah, it is It's supposed to be a lot of fun, especially at the HAGAs. But um, don't steer away from the fact that once you're before the round and during the round, it's all serious, you know. But after the round, have whatever fun you want. Go to the social activities. You know, I was... I was pretty hesitant at the start of my junior career to go out to these social activities okay. uh, because I was new. But then once you started building a few friendships and everything, those social activities, you go to them, they're actually a lot of fun. So the AJGA does a great job of keeping it fun and serious at the same time. And, you know, as a junior, just enjoy it as much as you can because once college comes around, it'll be a little bit more serious with travel and tournaments, but you'll always have fun with your team. What's the junior tournament or, or, you know, what's the junior tournament that you think you're going to miss the most? Mm. Either Rolex or Sage. Okay. Rolex is Uh, probably safer, right? So that's, that's a safer one for you. (laughs) Oh yeah. For me. Um, No, yeah. Rolex is great. You know, dinner champions, uh, you know, the awards banquet. Um, I think that's what it's called. Uh, Every, everybody's there pretty much that, you know, having fun you know you get to stay at the resort so everyone's in the pool after the rounds cooling off the course is great um and what i found is no one really cares about like how you're playing and stuff it's all about just being with your friends uh for a lot of us it's one of our last junior tournaments um and you know obviously that and Wyndham cup which for actually is most of our last tournaments as a junior that's a special one i've been fortunate enough to play in four of those and uh you know, go east, obviously, but of course, that's that's a great great tournament that every junior should strive to get into. What is the rivalry that you're going to miss the most in junior golf? I know that's kind of a silly question because you're probably just going to re uh, you know rekindle those rivalries at the college level. But is there maybe like a 
is there maybe a junior tournament that you had where someone got your number that, you know, damn it, I wish I could just get one more crack at this tournament and face off against this guy? Junior tournaments? Uh, my rival was Akshay. Um, okay. But but in a specific tournament, I would say the Rolex last year against Kelly Chin. Um, he battled it out down the stretch. He, he made some really, really good putts. Um, he played really well under the pressure and ended up taking it by a few. And I didn't hit the world's greatest shots uh, coming down the bear trap. Um, but if I could have that back, I would definitely like to finish those that back nine uh, with Kelly again. You mentioned Akshay and, you know, obviously he did not go to college. He turned professional and right now he's, he's chasing it, uh, you know, chasing, uh, trying to get a corn Ferry tour card and obviously get on the PGA tour. And obviously everyone needs to make their own decisions, but I'm guessing you're a little bummed out that he's, that you don't get a crack at him on the college level for the next four years. Yeah. I enjoyed going head to head with him in a lot of tournaments. Um, Argentina was was great. We went back yeah. and forth like crazy for the last five, six holes. Um, definitely miss it, but he saw a greater opportunity cost with going pro versus college. Um, so hope nothing but the best for him. Uh, I know he's got a lot a lot ahead, but he will be missed. <laughs> um, we all miss him, but uh, you know hopefully he does does well. Yeah, no, you'll you'll be seeing him uh, soon enough, and and I know you. I think I've read it uh, in certain places. I mean, going to Stanford, I mean, you're. I got to give you academic props, valedictorian at uh, at at uh, Saddlebrook. I mean, you're going to a place. It sounds like you want to, you know, dominate on the course as well, and also in the classroom. I, I'm guessing, you know, obviously there's things you want to do after college. You want to play professionally, but I'm guessing you're just as competitive in the classroom as you are on the golf course. Uh, I wouldn't say competitive. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to build up points for you, for your, for your, yeah, for, your for your teachers no. and your dad. I mean, I'm really helping you out here. Just, just go yeah, with it. it I'll, feels I'll good. build, I'll build it up. I'll build it up in a different <laughs> way. Um, it's not that I'm competitive. I just, I, it's really rare for anybody to really say this during high school and yeah, during college, but a lot of the classes I take, I enjoy learning about like, I, I really enjoy, you know, expanding my mind and learning new things that other people wouldn't necessarily understand. And it's just the small things in certain classes that, that stick with me. And you know, one of the things that interests me the most is obviously econ, you know, how, how everything works. Sure. But I, I truly do. Like, if I don't like a class, I'm, I don't want to say it, but like, <laughs> you know, if I don't like a class, I'm not really going to put a hundred percent into it. So the thing that I like about Saddlebrook and so far Stanford during summer class is that they make everything interesting. You know, nothing's been boring and I've enjoyed it. So sure. looking forward to what's ahead as far as academics here. Um, obviously the people here for academics are, are close to genius. They're just intellectuals everywhere around campus and you know student athletes do their part um keeping team gpa up but i'm not striving to be have the highest gpa at this school because that's <laughs> that's that's a little far-fetched in my opinion <laughs> you're you're saying that you're maybe like about a nine handicap in the classroom i mean you'll you can you can you can break yeah. 80 I'll, I'll get it done i'll be fine but i'm not you know 
Yeah, I'm not uh, a plus seven like some of these geniuses. Uh, I, yeah. was, I was like, I'm the guy who said he was scratch and then shoots 81. There you go. <laughs> when, oh. I, when, I, when, I, when I come to college. <laughs> I knew we had something in common. See, I spent seven years in college, but not in the good way, if you know what I'm saying. So, uh, um, all right, uh, so let me ask, let me close this out. But there's a really great story that I'm sure you've told a handful of times, but I, I'd love for you to share this because anyone that follows you on social media, uh, has and I'm not going to make an infomercial for uh, a clothing or a club company, but anyone that follows you on social media will have a pretty good idea of what clubs you play and have a pretty good idea what uh, what flavor hat or shirt you wear. So we'll just kind of leave it at that. But I'm guessing now there's no shortage of equipment options for you, and you can get your hands on on the latest and greatest. But please tell the story of your first set of clubs. My first set of clubs. And this is coming from the number one ranked junior in the world. So people listening, parents listening to this, listen to this story because uh, this this is how this happens. So I love this story. So please share. Yeah. It. Uh, so before I get into what my first set of clubs were, let you you know how I got. That's ex- so, now you're picking up what I'm putting down. That's exactly what yeah, I'm going exactly. for. Exactly. Um, so the golf course I was a member at, or my dad was a member at in Perth was very tough, you know, on the coast, near the ocean, pretty duty link style golf course, uh, very unique. And as I would walk around with him, I would notice a lot of golf balls in the trees. So every other night we would go out and pick golf balls out of the woods. And at the course I was at, which was a little bit more public, you know, junior friendly. Sure. Um, the guy in the pro shop was like, you can get this set of clubs for let's say this many balls, which was like 2000 or something, whatever. So I spent, I don't know how long it was, but let's say three, four months going in the woods and finding these golf balls. And eventually I had enough to go and trade them in for a half set of tour series irons. So these are the irons that say pitching wedge slash nine iron. Yes. <laughs> um, which which I took over to the World Championships when I was six to play with, just to realize that six-year-olds had custom-fit Titleist irons, uh-huh. full set. And I'm over there, this kid from Australia, with a <laughs> set of irons that say eight and seven iron, six and five iron. And <laughs> right. It was, it was great, um, just to show them that you don't need to have all this stuff to be able to play well. So I worked with what I had. And I think I still have those clubs in storage. I look at them every now and then. Oh, wow. That's great. You got to keep those. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that story because I, I wanted to make sure that, that people listening understand that, uh, yeah, you've you've accomplished so much in in your uh, in your junior career and your amateur career. And uh, great things lie ahead. But I wanted to make sure we highlighted exactly where, where things started. And it's a fantastic story for, you know, you don't need the – the latest and greatest you just need to need to work real hard and uh and you'll get to where you are so so carl uh, i know you got i know you're nursing the injury that's going to heal up as quickly as possible and uh i know that uh, you got a lot of great things uh ahead for you at stanford and beyond and um hopefully we do it again soon i appreciate you stopping by the back of the range yeah thank you appreciate it and there you have it special thanks to carl phillips for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range golf podcast Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Every single episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time for another episode here at the Back of the Range.